Today on Lessons for Living, the teaching ministry of Mark Ballmer, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel, Melbourne in Melbourne, Florida. It's just like Satan and sin. Satan always likes to come and get us fighting among ourselves. Here the nation supposedly used to have one God, but now they're going to fight each other instead of the real enemy, who is Satan. How often that can happen in our homes, husband and wife, kids, parents, at work, even in churches. Think back to a time when you had a fight with someone and it was left unresolved for a time. The anger bubbled up every time you thought about it, and the residue of bitterness tainted every other area of your life. You were impatient with loved ones because you were on edge. Your mind was distracted and your heart was distanced from the Lord. It wasn't the other person that was the problem. It was the enemy working on you. Whenever you leave a little opening, he'll sneak in. With humility and a spirit of forgiveness, seek to heal any unresolved conflicts. It's much more than an argument with one person. It is a battle for your soul. Remember, there's quite a few ways to receive a copy of Pastor Mark's teaching. We'll be sharing all that information with you at the close of today's broadcast. Now let's join Pastor Mark in the book of 2 Chronicles chapter 12, verse 6, for our continuing study entitled, God is on Our Side. It doesn't matter what the fortified city is. You remove God's protection from our life, we're in trouble. That's what happened. There was pride, and because of that pride, Judah and Rehoboam are going to experience the Egyptians. Their sinning ways are followed by God's judgment and his destruction through Egypt. God is to be our protector Not things, not people, not money or any company. We've shared with you before. If your confidence tonight is in your security system at home, good luck. If it's in the company you work for, good luck. If it's in your wisdom, if it's in your health, our confidence is to be in God. Psalm 91.2 says, I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress, my God, in whom I trust. Who are you looking to tonight for protection? It needs to be God. Remember Proverbs 16, 18, pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before fall. So that's exactly what happened. Here comes the fall. Egypt comes in and you're going to see what they do to the nation. Down in verse 5, then the prophet Shemaiah came to Rehoboam and to the leaders of Judah who had assembled in Jerusalem for fear of Shishak. And he said to them, this was the godly prophet, this is what the Lord says, you have abandoned me, therefore, you might want to underscore these words, I now abandon you to Shishak. You and I never want to hear those words. We hear that in the New Testament, Remember the man that was 
sinning and sexually in the church, and the church in Corinth was kind of looking at it and saying, hey, cool, that's fine, we're, we're open-minded. Paul said, no, you get rid of the man. If he won't repent, you get rid of him. Turn him over to Satan for destruction until he comes to his senses. Then he came to his senses. So this is what God did. He says, because you guys have abandoned me, I'm turning you over, I'm limiting it, but I'm turning you over to the enemy to learn a lesson. Verse 6, the leaders of Israel and the king, circle the word, humbled themselves. And they said, the Lord is just. What they said was this, we deserve what we're getting. You see, when we sin, the very thing that we all do, there's not a person here that doesn't do this. When we sin, the first thing we want to do is be like a cat. We want to cover it over. Not me, not me. But when you cover it over, it gets bad. See, it's not going to heal. And so these guys, humbling just doesn't mean they got on their faces and went, Hey God, we're wrong. I believe there was sincere repentance. They had just had the enemy come in their land and they're saying, Okay, You're not bad, God. You're really just. Notice, it could have destroyed them, but God was gracious. So it's a lesson for you and I always that when we're confronted with our sin, first by God and then sometimes by people, depends on how far it goes, and we've all been there, remember the smart thing to do, the quicker we take care of the problem, the better we start sleeping at night. Is it humbling to admit we've sinned? Is it? I hate it. I don't like to admit I'm wrong or I sin, but we do. So admit it. Get on with it. That's what they did. They admitted it. They realized that God was just. Verse 7. Now when the Lord saw that they humbled themselves, see, God was watching, this word of the Lord came to Shemamiah. Since they have humbled themselves, I will not destroy them, but will soon give them deliverance. Now if they hadn't, It had been a long, hard time of learning the lesson. So again, the sooner you repent, the sooner I repent, the quicker healing comes, the quicker God's grace comes. Let's get the punishment over. It's going to come. We deserve it. We need it. Sin, when it's finished, has trouble in our lives. It brings junk. He said, my wrath will not be poured out on Jerusalem through Shishak. They will, however... Become subject to him. Why? Because I'm angry at them. No. So that they what? May learn the difference between serving me and serving the kings of the other lands. So let's be teachable. Even though we learn, we're going to know that whatever we sow, we, we reap. I wish that law wasn't there, but it is. Now, is there a difference between serving God and serving Satan? It's His grace, His mercy. God wants to bless us. He wanted to bless him. He didn't want to do this, but he knew he had to do it. Verse 19. Now, when Shishak, king of Egypt, attacked Jerusalem, he carried off the treasures of the temple of the Lord and the treasures of the royal palace. He took everything. He moved that Hertz Renovan right up and just... Loaded the gold in, and off he went, including the gold shields that Solomon had made. Verse 10. 
The gold shields are gone, so King Rehoboam makes bronze shields. Now remember, bronze is a sign of judgment. (laughs) Every time he holds a shield up, what's he thinking about? Hmm, should have been gold, they're now bronze. To replace them and assign these to the commanders on guard at the duty of the entrance. Whenever the king went to the Lord's temple, the guards went with him, bearing the shields, and after it, they returned them to the guard room. Because Rehoboam humbled himself, the Lord's anger was turned from him, and he was not totally destroyed. Indeed, there was some good in Judah. You might want to circle that word good. We won't see too much more. Now, the reason for this good is, this is the writer just saying, from this little bit of good, this little bit of remnant, will come Judah and its kings, a few good ones, eventually the Messiah. Verse 13, King Rehoboam established himself firmly in Jerusalem and continued as king. He was 41 years old when he became king, and he reigned 17 years in Jerusalem, the city the Lord had chosen out of all the tribes of Israel to put his name. His mother's name was Nama. She was an Ammonite, so there was another pagan. Verse 14, he did evil because he had not set his heart on seeking the Lord. So here we go again. Doing good, doing bad, humbled, punished, doing good, doing bad again. Same roller coaster. Remember, King Saul really had a hard heart. King David had a soft heart. King Solomon had a divided heart. And Solomon's son, King Rehoboam, also had a divided heart. 15 and 16 just tell us a little bit about some other history of him. Let's look at chapter 13. In the 18th year of the reign of Jeroboam, Abijah became king of Judah. So now we have the next king coming along. It's Abijah. And that's the son of Rehoboam. Verse 2. And he reigned in Jerusalem three years. His mother's name was Makkah, a daughter of Uriel of Gibeah. And there was war between Abijah and Jeroboam. Now, we know from 1 Kings 15 that really, overall, Abijah was an evil king. It says in 1 Kings 15, 3, He committed all the sins his father had done before him. His heart was not devoted fully to the Lord, as the heart of David, his father, had been. So there's an important thing here, and I just want to challenge you that are parents here tonight once again. You want to be a godly parent. You want to be godly grandparents because our children should be imitating, copying those good things. Solomon really had a divided heart. Rehoboam has a divided heart. Abijah, his son, has a divided heart. It just goes down the path. So parents... Learn, be a guy, a gal, a mom, a dad that has a heart for God. Now, some of you students and children can say, well, you know, my dad made me do it. My mom made me do it. No, you know enough now. Even many of you come from a home that's not a Christian home, but God saved you by his grace. You found your way here. You're serving God. So you can break that. That's not a kind of, don't believe in the generational curses stuff. Anytime you ask, ask God to come into your heart, God will do it. His heart's for the lost. You know that that generational curse jazz going back 28 generations or whatever is a bunch of hooey. God loves people. You, wherever you're at, if you open your heart, God will change your life totally. He'll totally. 
He takes us where we're at. He changes our heart. All you had to do to do that was to accept Jesus Christ. That broke the curse. Amen? All right. Verse 3. Abijah went into the battle. So what do we have now? We have civil war. We have civil war within Israel. Abijah went into battle with a force of 400,000 able fighting men. See, when we think of these nations, we go, eh, probably 25 against 30. We have a hard time picturing, picture 400,000. That's Brevard County. In a little nation of Israel. Well, that's not too much. Look at the other side. And Jeroboam drew my battle line against him with how many? 800,000. We have 1.2 million people fighting, getting ready to fight. It's amazing. Civil war. You know what happens? It's just like Satan and sin. Satan always likes to come and get us fighting among ourselves. Here the nation supposedly is to have one God. But now they're going to fight each other. Instead of the real enemy, who is Satan. How often that can happen in our homes. Husband and wife. Kids, parents. At work. Even in churches. How many churches tonight? You walk in. You wouldn't sense the joy of the Lord. Why? It's the north against the south. It's the conservatives against the liberals. Whatever. It's all over. And because of that, what happens? The real enemy goes free. Because we spend all our energy, all our time, all our focus fighting among each other. Some of you have come tonight, husband and wife, and you're fussing or whatever. Turn your anger on Satan. Repent. Humble yourself with each other. Praise God that we have a church in unity. But I want to encourage you tonight. Second Timothy says this. Avoid foolish discussions. Because those who indulge in it will become more and more ungodly. Don't get tied up in kind of stuff that doesn't matter. All this junk. Keep the main thing the main thing. And the main thing is simply win, disciple, and send. Teach the word of God. Live the word of God. Forget all that junk, the minor things. God will orchestrate it all out when we get there. Keep the main thing the main thing. Don't waste our time fussing on other stuff. While we do that, the world outside plummets to hell while we're trying to argue what version of the Bible to study or whatever you want to come up with next. Verse 4. Abijah stood on Mount Zermaram in the hill country of Ephraim, and he said, Jeroboam and all Israel, listen to me. Now, I don't know how he stood up there with 800,000 men or whatever, a high mountain, but... No PA system or whatever, but he did it. It's kind of neat because this is a Sermon on the Mount in the Old Testament. Just a little different. So Abijah, from Judah, is going to get up and say to Jeroboam, Hello out there! We don't want war! So he's going to try to talk him out of the battle. Verse 5. What's he say? Don't you know that the Lord, the God of Israel, has given the kingship of Israel to David and his descendants forever by a covenant of salt? So he reminds Jeroboam that the northern tribes are part of them. God didn't have two nations. 
And it was all part of David. And the kingship laid with David. And so out of the kingship of David should come the kings. And remember, Jeroboam is not a king. He's a king, but he's a self-appointed king. He, He didn't come from the line of David. So he's just basically saying, and he mentions the word Saul. We don't have time to go there tonight. You remember back in the Old Testament when we studied that Saul was just a, it represent preserving. So it meant that covenant that God gave when they threw salt on it was a, was an everlasting covenant. So th- he's saying to him, Jeroboam, this hasn't changed. What are you doing up there? We shouldn't be fighting. Verse 6. Yet Jeroboam, son of Nebed, an official of Solomon, son of David, rebelled against his master. He's given a little history how Jeroboam got there. And some worthless scoundrels gathered around him and opposed Rehoboam, son of Solomon, when he was young and indecisive and not strong enough to resist him. So he's pretty bold making his statements. He says to Jeroboam, the reason you got into leadership is you rebelled against God. You're a traitor. And the only reason you got here is because Solomon's son Rehoboam was a jerk. He was a young kid. He fell to peer pressure and he made the wrong decision. From godly wisdom comes discernment. So he was just saying, you made one decision wrong. It just is, it's just cascading. It's getting worse and worse and worse. Verse eight. And now you plan to resist the kingdom of the Lord, which is in the hands of David's descendants. In other words, my hands. So uh, Abijah is pretty strong in his words. You are indeed a vast army. And have with you the golden calves that Jeroboam made to be your gods. But didn't you drive out the priests of the Lord, the son of Aaron, and the Levites, and make priests of your own as the people of the other lands do? Whoever comes to consecrate himself with a young bull and seven rams may become a priest of what are not gods. That's really tongue-in-cheek. What he's saying is there, as he pours this salt into their spiritual wounds, He reviews for them the apostasy that's taken place in the north. Remember, Jeroboam's afraid if the people go down to the south, they're going to stay in Jerusalem. He's going to lose his power. So he makes Dan and Bethel the place where he puts these golden calves there to worship the golden calves. When the real priests, the Levites, see this, they leave the north, go all to the south. And so now there's no priests, there's no Levites. So to get one, you can buy your way in. You can just give money and you can become a priest or a Levite. But look at the last part of this verse again. Nine, I love it. Whoever comes to consecrate himself with a young bull and seven rams may become a priest of what are not gods. Isn't this good? He said, it doesn't matter if you're a priest or not, you got no God to serve. They're idols. So I mean, it's like, it's a joke. A non-priest is serving a non-god. He's just making a joke to him. Now, verse 8 and 9 have application to today. You might want to write outside of that. That's a picture of the liberal church today. That's exactly what's happening in the liberal church today. Today, we have homosexuals. We have lesbians as pastors. We have leaders in the church all over the place. Pastors, men and women who don't believe in the Bible. They don't believe in the virgin birth. They don't believe in the Trinity. They don't believe in the deity of Jesus. We have the golden calves of religion everywhere. Lots of form, lots of ritual, but absolutely no power of God. Just quickly, with your finger, turn over to 2 Timothy chapter 4 for a moment. See, Satan just does this in a different way. I mean, as yet, we haven't seen in the churches a golden calves to worship, but it doesn't matter because their hearts aren't for God. They don't believe in the Bible. We have an abomination in the pulpits, not only lesbians, homosexuals, 
but men and women who don't believe even in God, teaching people who are being blinded to the truth. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1, speaking about the future. Paul telling Timothy, it's going to get bad, says this, in the presence of God in Christ Jesus, in other words, Timothy, when, when you're teaching the word, it's not just in front of the people you're teaching, but you're in the presence of God in Christ the people are going to, the God is going to judge you for the way you teach. Who will judge the living and the dead in a view of his appearing in his kingdom? I give you this mild suggestion. No, I give you this charge. Preach the word. Circle the word the. It's not man's word. It's not some of the word. It is the word of God. Be prepared and season out of season. Correct, rebuke, encourage with great patience and careful instruction. In other words, lots of grace to go along with the teaching. Timothy, not only do the people need it, but you need it too. So I have to remind myself when I teach, I need God's grace, just like you need God's grace, because we all blow it, and when we're corrected, we need grace. Take our medicine, get on with life. For the time will come when men will not put up with sound doctrine. By the way, the time has come. We're right in the middle of it today. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. What people want to hear today, basically, in church is this. You're doing fine. doesn't matter what you do. Your lifestyle's okay. As long as you love God, whatever that means, you can go for it. They want to leave church feeling good, don't want to be corrected, don't want to hear the sound of God's word. Now, those people that hear that, think that they're doing fine. But really, there's an emptiness down inside. There's a tremendous emptiness for truth. Man was made for truth. Verse 4. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside instead to miss. Timothy, but you keep your head in all situations. Endure hardship. In other words, you're going to suffer for it. I wouldn't doubt that there will be a day coming that we will suffer for it here. I will suffer for it. You will. We're going to be in the minority. Do the work of an evangelist and discharge all the duties of your ministry. In other words, Timothy, just stay with it. Stay the course. With God's help, we're going to stay the course. Doesn't matter. This church will be known as a church that preaches and teaches all the word of God. Doesn't matter if any other church in the community, by the way, there's plenty that do. Doesn't matter if anyone, everybody drops. God help us, this church will teach the Word of God. That's what we're here for. The Word of God's alive, powerful, it's changed your life, changing my life. Only thing it works. The rest of it, bogus. Bogus. Back to Chronicles. Verse 10. As for us, he's saying, you guys have left God, you got pagan gods, you don't have any good priests. It's all form. He says, as for us, the Lord is our God, and we have not forsaken him. Rehoboam was not devoted to God as his forefather David had been. His prideful spirit led to his downfall, taking many people with him. His eyes became focused on worldly things instead of the Lord. Pastor Mark noted that our goal as believers is to keep one thing in mind, 
to win, disciple, and send. Nothing is as important as that. As we heard, there will be a time when people stop listening, but we must carry on with the Word. Lessons for Living is the teaching ministry of Mark Balmer of Calvary Chapel, Melbourne. The messages that you hear each day here on Lessons for Living were produced from messages that Pastor Mark shared at the main campus in Melbourne. It's our prayer that this teaching from God's Word blessed and encouraged you in your walk with Jesus Christ. Maybe you're listening right now in Brevard County and you don't have a home church. We want to take this time to invite you to join us for worship. We meet at the Melbourne and Vieira campuses on Saturday night at 6 p.m. and Sunday morning at 8.30 and 10.45 a.m. And those in the Sebastian area can join us Sunday mornings at 10.45 a.m. For more information, call us toll-free at 866 866- Seven seven nine three four four one. That's eight six six seven seven nine three four four one. Or log on to lessonsforlivingradio.com and follow the link to the church website. Now, the next time you join us here on Lessons for Living, we'll find out the results of the war between Israel and Judah, which turns out to be a vivid illustration of obedience versus rebellion to God. Clearly, one side will be assisted by the Lord, even though they are greatly outnumbered. Pastor Mark will take us to other portions of Scripture that give the same exhortation for obedience to God, because He is for us. You've been listening to Lessons for Living with Pastor Mark Balmer of Calvary Chapel, Melbourne. Please join us again here on Lessons for Living, and together, let's do life right. Right. 